This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We are with Grant Fatma today, who is the founder of Stewardship. He's going to tell us all about what his company is. It was included two times on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in the U.S., but I'm also excited to speak with him because he's the author of two best-selling books. The first one is The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck, so hopefully we'll talk about culture building. And the most recent one is Work-Life Harmony, which if you know me, that's a tough one for us A-type personalities. So Grant, welcome to the program. Tell everybody the wonderful things that your company and your team does. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Allison. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So Stewardship is a group of many companies. We do home loans, insurance, and investments with wisdom and love. And the way that we communicate that to our community is we love people through finances. So we do our best to walk people through the labyrinth that can be your personal finances. And we try to be a guide that helps push you in the right direction. Well, and Grant, I'm just going to give a little disclaimer because I think everybody should know who you are and add you to their LinkedIn network. Uh, But we give a little disclaimer because your company does work in investments and that doesn't mean that we necessarily endorse you. But as I shared, you've got such great business wisdom. I absolutely wanted to have you as a guest. And I want to start with the thing that I find um, fascinating because you've just thrown out, you know, we do insurances as mortgages and investments. And as I asked you at the beginning of this call, for our listeners who go to your website, I'm like, Grant, is that a beer tap on the video on the homepage (laughs) of your website? And to which you said, yes, it is. (laughs) So tell us what it is. (laughs) Yeah, so in the lobby of our office, we have a, uh, I'm a big coffee fan. So we have a cold brew coffee machine. So it has nitro cold brew, regular cold brew, uh, sparkling tea on there. And yeah, it's for the customers, but to be honest, uh, we as a team use it more than anything else. And that's probably the real reason why I got it. So yeah, yeah that's what's well, there. I still want it to be a big beer tap, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I think it is intriguing. We, so let's just, we're going to go to some of your other, your, the content of your books, but yeah, let's talk about, about your business, because I think that is the thing. Um, give everybody the website so that if they're happen to be listening by a computer, they can go check it out. Yeah, uh, stewardship.pro is our webpage. And um, oftentimes I'm, I'm speaking at events asking people how we structure web pages. And our webpage um, was built after the story brand model. And it really converts really well, where a lot of the scheduled appointments that we get for our team are on that webpage. So feel free to go to that website, steal anything that you want. Um, happy to answer any questions that people have too as they go to it. Well, and I think the, the video aspect is engaging. And I think, 
this, you know, it, it draws you and I was joking with you, Grant, before we started. And I said, oh yeah, I, I, I need to be one of your customers because it, 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 it is, it, I love the business model that it's so many things under one roof, but that it is very personal. So, but let's talk about your founder's journey because you did start this business right out of college. You've been at it for what, 13, 14 years. Tell us um, about a little bit about your founder's journey. Yeah. Um, I went to a small uh, Christian college. It was called actually what's known as a Bible college. And I went there because I thought I wanted to be a pastor and then I ended up uh, adding a major. So I double majored in Christian ministries and business. And then when I graduated, um, we were kind of all standing in a circle and uh, with, with some of my classmates and their parents and grandparents were there. And we all sharing kind of what we were going to do now that we graduated. And everybody kind of went around and shared what they were going to do. And, and through my journey of college, I realized that, you know, I really wanted to help people with money because money was really important to people's lives. And of seeing relationships and, and issues happen in people's life because they had finances handled poorly. And I thought, man, I, I could fix that. I could figure out a way to do it differently. And uh, one of the people asked me, hey, Grant, what, what are you going to do when, now that you're graduated? And I shared, oh, well, I'm going to start start a mortgage company and then insurance and financial planning. And somebody said, well, isn't that a waste of a, a Christian education, a Bible college degree? And that right there kind of let me know that, that people don't get it. Our society um, absolutely needs people to not just help them with finances, but to genuinely love for them, care for mm-hmm. them and put their needs ahead of the salesperson's needs. Because too often in finance, we're incentivized to sell somebody a product or service just so that we can get a better commission to earn that trip to Cabo or make that payment on our BMW or whatever that is. Um, and I just have a problem with that and I wanted to change it. So that's where the journey started. I saw a need in my community. I didn't like it. And my stomach churned with kind of almost anger and I wanted to fix it. So I did. So anybody in your, in your family, in the finance arena that inspired you? Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, my, my grandfather has been involved in real estate for a really long time in uh, Arizona, but I'm, I'm actually a farm kid. My, my, that's how my grandfather was involved in real estate was with farms. And then I grew up on a farm myself. I was, I was one of seven, the middle of seven kids who grew up on a dairy farm, but I got a job in finance when I was 15 years old. I started out as a credit card collector and uh, I actually won a, a, awards as a credit card collector as a kid, even though I, my voice hadn't changed yet. And I sounded, you know, a very feminine, but I was a male in that field, which had some, some challenges of its own. But um, the reason why I did well is because I never asked for money on the first call. I figured, man, if they're late on their credit card, they're probably late on a bunch of stuff. And I would just ask them, Hey, why are you late? What's going on? And then I would listen to their story and I'd take notes. And then on the second call, I would say, Hey, how's your, your grandma doing? Or, Hey, did you find a job? Or, Hey, is your, your leg healed yet? And I would really build relationships with these people. And then eventually my incoming phone line just started ringing off the hook and they were calling me when they got money. Sure. They were late on a bunch of stuff, but when they got money, who was the first person that they called? It was me, not the other collectors. And it ended up working out in the long term for, for me as a credit card collector. And that was my first experience in finance. And, and I did that as a high schooler. Well, I love that story. Let's, let's talk about, you founded your business. Um, and I know from speaking with you that you started off alone and then you brought in co-founders and, and anybody who listens to the show knows I always love to ask questions about co-founders because business success is about those relationships. So tell us a little bit about 
your co-founders and and if they're fully active and how you divide the roles. Tell us something about that piece of, of your company. Yeah, it's uh, currently me and, and two of the guys, both of them I went to college with, uh, my best friends. They're awesome people. And, and the success that we have at Stewardship, I wouldn't be there without them. Um, so much so that one of my co-founders started out as an employee, but over a period of time, I wrote him in as an owner because he earned it. Uh, I needed his input. Um, he was even more valuable to the company in that role. Uh, both of my uh, friends and co-founders, they're actually uh, advisors. So one of them is the primary insurance advisor, and the other one is the primary investment advisor. Um, and yes, they're co-founders, but it's different than my role. Um, I am not giving client advice on a day-to-day basis. My role is to support the team, manage the company culture, the, the strategic vision, but then also be the ambassador for the brand and uh, make sure that I'm out in the community doing our best to, to love people in our community well. So we all have uh, different roles. I'm definitely the leader and the CEO, but um, they, they for sure have, have ownership and has ju- have just as much say in things as I do. Well, let's flip and talk about the the culture building and and community building. And I know your first book was The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck. And I I know, like I said, for anybody that goes and takes a look, and and this is what we love at Disruptive CEO Nation. We love the stories where the community building and the priority first is about your culture and your internal teams before you go and start talking about um, you know, what you're going to do for the customers. So what are some of the highlights um, that you shared in the problem? Isn't their paycheck, your advice to company founders and business leaders on building culture? Yeah, the premise of the book is about the proper motivational hierarchy that each of us have. All too often, managers and leaders think that all we have to do is pay a lot and then we'll get the best talent. We'll get to keep them. That's not what the data says. And that wasn't my experience either. Sure, you need to pay people well and pay them fairly, but uh, pay is actually the fourth most motivating thing to people in the United States. There are three things that over and over and over again, study after study after study that are more motivational. And those things include affirmation. People want to know if they're doing it right or they're doing it wrong. Sure, we got to affirm people positively, but this is not just like Skittles and rainbows and unicorns. This is like, hey, when they do something wrong, let them know. Uh, affirmations and reviews are the number one thing that's clicked on on the internet for the most part. You know, whether we're buying a toothbrush or a mortgage, people want to know if they're doing it right. So that's a big deal, especially when you're leading folks. As managers and leaders, sometimes we struggle to intentionally affirm our team on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. The second thing um, that is absolutely motivational is freedom. People want autonomy. Uh, People do not want their employment to feel enslaved. They want uh, the freedom to be able to live their life the way that they want, but they also want freedom to create, freedom to contribute, freedom to make a big impact. Um, it was a really hard thing for me as a, a founder of a company to kind of step out of the role of, of, of client day-to-day stuff because I was really good at it. And I wanted my employees to do it just like me, but they're not me. And that's okay. I had to learn and to give them trust uh, and to give them the freedom to thrive in, in those areas, to be extensions of me, but not exact versions of me. And here's the truth, Allison, they're way better at it than I ever was now. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the freedom. And then the most motivational thing uh, to us is purpose. People want to do work that matters. People want to make an impact on real people's lives when they show up to work every day, especially if they get to do it with a group of other people. So in the book, I talk about a unified purpose, and that is the core of our culture at Stewardship. We at Stewardship together are doing awesome things in the real lives of people as we love people through finances. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I think those are really... um, 
great pieces. And I, I agree with you. It's um, once in my career, I was the executive director of a global incentive association where we talked a lot about human performance. And you're right. You mentioned it earlier. Some of some of the things were, you know, your sales incentives and your traditional experience trips, but also it was a lot about what makes human beings tick and how do you bring out the the best in their their potential. So I couldn't be with you more on those three examples that you listed. Let's jump forward though to your current book. And as I, I said in the intro, you know, I'm glad you don't use, and I, I know you have an opinion about using the word balance because that's just it's hard. Um, to be honest, Grant, a, a few months ago I was invited to be a guest on a podcast. Um, and it was based in Sri Lanka and they invited me to talk about work-life balance. And I'm like, oh, I am the worst person that you want <laughs> to talk about work-life balance because I'm a really good A-type, uh, single mom and everything is integrated. But I really, I know you've got some really great wisdom and, and tips in here because you haven't, you know, like you said, you can't be the leader and the founder of a company that has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies without putting it all out on the table. So I'm guessing that this book was also written from some hard lessons learned. Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit of what you can ex- what we can expect if we were to pick up the book. Yeah, the first thing that you can expect is um, I do not give the same advice that most of these books, conversations, and classes all have. Most of these books and conversations all have to deal with, hey, just stop working so much. I don't believe that. I believe we were created to contribute. I like my job. I think I'm really good at it and I enjoy it. And as do you, Allison, that's why you keep doing what you're doing. Uh, So I'm never going to tell you to stop working in the book. Um, I talk about living a little bit more of an intentional life so that you can invite the people that matter most into this mission that you're on with work. So you invite your family into this mission, but you invite your work into this mission to ensure that you guys are all on the same page and your expectations are not only managed, but you start supporting each other. Um, I think balance is great and we need to, to, to do our best to try and achieve it, but it shouldn't be the goal. Allison, if, if, if balance is the goal, then we're going to feel as you even kind of communicated sometimes like we're failing and almost mm-hmm. have some shame and feel sometimes alone because when you balance you eventually fall down and become out of balance. You cannot stay balanced forever. So it's a really poor target. Instead, I help people change the target from trying to be balanced to trying to have harmony. And harmony, by definition, is multiple things kind of happening simultaneously in unison. Again, with the expectations managed, and when it's in a song, it's absolutely beautiful. So I share a bunch of tips and tricks and things that me and my wife do with our family, a bunch of tips and tricks that I do with me and my own team at work uh, to make sure that we all have work-life harmony. And I'm again, I'm going to guess that some of that came from some difficult life lessons. Um, and you can't go through a founder's journey and build a company like you did without some hard lessons or what we like to call some naked truths. So, so what is that advice that you give to somebody that you know that is a company founder and in those throes of building the business? Anything that you really struggled with as you were upscaling your, your company? Oh, yes. I have many of those stories. Uh, I'd say one of the ones that your listeners will probably be able to relate with is uh, Seasons. 
there are seasons in our life. There are seasons for busyness and there are seasons where we can rest. And when you're a founder of a company, and especially when you're starting the journey, uh, it feels like busy season is happening all the time. And kind of what happened is I was asking my wife and my kids to sing a note. I said, hey, sing a note. And they sang and they kept singing, but eventually they stopped. And then I turned to them and said, hey, why'd you guys stop singing that note? And they turned to me and said, well, how long did you want us to sing it for? And that's kind of what we do with our busy seasons. We expect our family, the people that we love the most and the people that we're closest with to just endure this busy season that we're in, but we never communicate to them how long it's going to last why we're going through the busy season, the awesome impact that's being had on real people because of the work that I'm doing on the busy season. And we never really celebrate with them when the busy season's over. So now I ask my kids and my wife to sing notes and I tell them how long they get to sing it for. I encourage them when they sing that note. And then we plan a celebration after the busy season's over. Allison, uh, the book is launching now. So I'm in the midst of this busy season now. And my kids and my wife, they, they all know it but we've already scheduled an entire month off for me. And we already have things planned for celebrations to go to the beach together in California. I'm in Arizona. So we'll make a drive down there and do a lot of different fun things. I mean, the same is true even for my daughter. She's 13 years old. She even has a little piece in the book that she wrote. Uh, but there is a, a time over the last couple of months where she had to work really, really hard at this science fair project. And something that my wife and I have scheduled is a time to celebrate her because she worked super hard and was in a really big, busy season. And me and my wife and her brother and sister, we supported her through that season. And uh, I had to learn the hard way that communication and expectation management of when busy seasons are, how long they last, but scheduling celebrations is a really big deal. Yeah, I appreciate that, that Grant. I I have to ask you, you are you are such a a positive leader, so energetic, but we know when you run a business, it's, it's, it's not all roses and daisies. No way. So I'm compelled to ask you about how you handle difficult situations with team members um, who are, are not performing in this positive wonderful culture, harmonious environment, because, because we know that that comes up. Can you give us some tips on how you have to deal with those poor for performers? Yeah, I talk a lot about that in, in my first book. And I'll just share a story of, of exactly what I do when I'm firing people. Um, the first thing that I do is I look in the mirror. And if somebody isn't performing well or they do something wrong, set aside like ethical issues or big integrity stuff, like obviously done, fired on the spot. That's not for us, right? But whether it be performance or something that's happening that I don't like, I, I go right away to them instead of waiting for like a 90-day performance review. If something bad happens, right away, I go to them and say, hey, look, this is, this is the bad thing that happened, but I'm your leader, so I'm putting it on me. Uh, what did I do wrong there? What did I... Uh, lack in my education, in my training to you, in my leadership to you, in my provision of resources to you that made that happen. Let's look through that. And then we talk about those issues and those things. And I provide that, right? Then if it repeats a second time, I go to them right away and say, hey, it happened again. Um, I provided this thing last time. What else am I missing? Did, did, I, did I do something else wrong? Where, where did I go wrong, right? And I keep looking and pointing at me. And then if it happens again for the third time, then the conversation goes, okay, 
this is the third time I did this. I also did this. Now we're at a place where I don't know what I could have done different. And it looks like it might be a you thing. What do you think? And it's hard for them to respond in any other way other than, yeah, I'm having problems here, right? I know it's me. Uh, and at that point, for me, the best way to fire people, honestly, to care for them, love them, take care of them. And the way I do that is I help them find another job. Rather than firing them and leaving them on, on their own, I make a commitment that when I hire people, I am genuinely going to care for you. My wife and I are going to love you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to take care of you however we can, even if that means that you're not going to be employed with us anymore. Somebody moves on to something else or something different. I'm not going to take it personal. Or if they perform poorly and, and they need to move somewhere else, I hope that the, that person doesn't take it personal either. So because we made that commitment, I see that commitment through to the end. And what that's turned into for us, Allison, is we have people that I have had to let go that are now some of our biggest fans because I took care of them. And you know what that does to everybody else who's on the team? They know this one truth that is probably one of the most important truths that you can let people know and feel on your team every day. And that's this, that your boss, your manager, your leader, me, I care about you. And that's such a rare thing. That is, that is such a rare thing. I love the philosophy. I know Grant, that early in my career, when I first like hit the manager and director level, you know, I had a wonderful mentor who was like, look, you should never get to the point of firing somebody that when you're in the room with them, they don't look at you and go, yeah, I know, Hmm. (laughs) you know, because you, you have done you know, similar to what you're explaining, that it's not a surprise that you don't get to a meeting on a performance review, or they read something that you wrote that surprises them. And that's on you as the, as the manager and and the leader, but we get so busy. It's hard to find time for that. Yeah. A practical example that I give in the book about making time is I actually don't do performance reviews. I, I turn them on their head. Instead of telling people how their performance is every 90 days or telling them what their goals should be every 90 days or telling them if they're doing a good or bad job every 90 days, I do that real time. Like we have data and dashboards that lets people know how they're doing mm-hmm. every day. Again, affirmation is big. But every 90 days, I do what's called an employer review where they review me. So I'm pursuing them, asking them questions about how they feel about their employment, how their family feels about their employment, uh, what, what is working in their job, what's not working in their job, how do they feel about their coworker, who's their favorite coworker right now, who's their least favorite coworker right now. You know, I have these conversations where I genuinely go after them and pursue them every 90 days so that they know, oh man, my boss really does care about me. He pursues me like this. This is a big deal. So I make time every 90 days with our team. Well, listeners, I hope you understand why I wanted to bring Grant on the program. He is just a wealth of of knowledge and, and, and leadership wisdom. Grant, if we had to ask you, if we come back and talk to you in two or three years, what's the vision for stewardship? What's the vision for you? Where are you going next? Uh, big picture to love even more people through finances. Specifically, uh, we are about to open a real estate program. Uh, we're literally taking people through the beta program right now that helps people buy their next home without having to sell their current home first. So they don't have to figure out like living with in-laws or a rental in between. Uh, we're launching that program right now. And then we're also going to be launching, launching uh, tax filing and tax advice 
Um, and who knows where it'll be three years after that. But I'd say over the next two to three years, our hope would be that we can love people through finances in both of those areas as well. Well, Grant, if people want to find out more, how can they reach out to you or learn more about your company? Yeah, I'm super active on social media at Grant Botma on Instagram and on Twitter. I have links and bios there to have links to all the things. But I mean, I'm posting videos, blogs, podcasts, books, live events, all the things on, on my social media. And I'm super active in my direct messages. So if anybody has questions, they can send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram and I'm there. Well, Grant, thank you so much for sharing your personal story. For our listeners, if Grant said something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode. If there is a disruptive CEO and founder that you think I need to speak to, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again, Grant. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.